I am so excited about this episode. Oh, Dave, this was uh, one for the books. It truly was. And, and it, I, it, it rarely matches up um, when I am like so actively consuming uh, a guest content at the time that we're recording the episode. I have like that Shamir album has been nonstop for me. Um, Biba Doobie, the Biba Doobie album, by the way, is working its way in, but it still mm. Shamir is absolutely number one. And we have Shamir yes. this week. Yes. And it's all Shamir all the time in this house too. And of course have been a big Shamir fan since, uh, Ratchet. Um, Shamir gave, by the way, okay. So we're recording this on the 11th, just yesterday. Twitter had one of those moments that made constant doom scrolling nearly worth it. Where Dean something or other from, you know, the GOP something or other from whatever'sville, uh, accidentally posted uh, something that was clearly supposed to be from his burner account where he was like, you know, as an openly gay black male, you know, I have to say that uh, Donald Trump has done so much for me and Obama never did and blah, blah, blah. Mm. He's not black. Um, so, Shocker. Yeah. And so immediately, like within an hour, it it just completely escalated out of control where uh, somebody who was a, a black man recorded a video who was like, yeah, no, that was me talking. And, um, and, and I don't know how, whatever. It was a whole weird thing. But then 15 minutes after that, we come to discover it's Patty LaBelle's nephew. So Justin Kirkland, my friend and colleague at Esquire, and I are trying to get to the bottom of it. We're going back and forth on Twitter. Um, Justin's like, Dave, it's Patty LaBelle's son. And then Padma Lakshmi comes in and is like, nephew, you know, asterisk nephew. Then Got Shamir uh, sees our tweets and says uh, a phrase that I'm going to get to work appropriating. Sweet potato mother of Jesus, let this not be true. <laughs> and I was like, no, it's, it's, it's not her son. It's her nephew. Shamir said, I, I, that still does not sit right with my spirit, but I'm just going right. to, we're going to go with it. It was, it was absolutely a wild, wild ride. And now it's the next day and it's completely forgotten. Uh, I'm, I'm not forgetting it. I am still reeling from it all, especially Insane. sweet potato mother of God. Oh my God. So uh, before Lord. we get to Shamir, we yes. have some questions. We have some from questions. You. We put it out to our uh, our Instagram followers. And we, got a, we got a few questions and we're going to address them. Which should we start What do we got first? Oh, mm-hmm. here's one from JMC1032, M&D. Mm-hmm. What have you learned about yourself after all these episodes and interviews? Dave, we're, I don't know how long we've been doing this, three years? Yeah, something like that. What have you learned? Anything? I, um, y- yeah, I, I, I mean, I will say that I, I think I learned the degree to which I have been carrying, um, shame and isolation along with me, mm. you know? Um, there is, there was a part of myself that even after coming out, um, I, there was just a, like a bad feeling that I was, that I was carrying with me, a feeling of like shame or failure or, or inadequacy or, or whatever that I, I I wasn't feeling it like at the conscious level, but it was just something that had kind of fused itself to me. Um, over the course of, you know, a, a, a coming out in a conservative time in a conservative place. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I think talking to so many other queer people about their experience and seeing so much of my own in it, um, in theirs, um, 
and and like respecting and admiring and loving our guests the way that we nearly always do um made me really realize how much of that weight I was carrying with me and what a waste of energy and 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 like psychic space it is it has really mm-hmm. helped me put it down and and take it out to the curb and you know let it get picked up and taken to the landfill yeah i do feel like i regularly see your shoulders drop just a little bit when you yeah. connected with a guest uh about a shared experience or an experience that is vastly different um but there's still that that um connection to the community there yeah yeah you matt i have learned that I talk like a, I'm going to say a gay turtle who is just slowly trudging along and finding his way through a sentence. And it's usually not worth the wait with the pauses, but also I I don't give a shit. This is just, this is as good as it's going to get folks. I've I've, I've embraced it in a way. Oh, well, I love when you it, when you do take a pause because I know that the perfect question is like is buffering, and it's it, it is, <laughs> the buffering it gets is always the yeah the uh, Wi Fi connection seems to drop more and more. Okay. Uh, right. the, the older we get, but is working well, and that's always and that's not something we learn. That is just simply then <laughs> uh, the truth, but. On a whole other note, we have a question from Skipper Evan, which is, who was your very first celebrity crush, Dave? Very first. It's hard to say very first. Um... Yeah, I I definitely had a... I had a strong feeling about, uh... Matthew Labarteau from, uh... uh, Little House on the Prairie. Oh, Little Almanzo? Alfred? I don't... The little boy who suddenly was in the family. Um, yeah, I, I'm that trying was, to I felt an image. A, I'm googling a connection. Probably the first. I think the first time that I uh, that I remember feeling like, oh, there are mm. things that I want to do. I've got work I would like to get done with this person. It's probably Corey Hart. Corey Hart. Corey Hart. Yep. Sunglasses at night. Never surrender. Oh, 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 of course, of course, of course. Yeah, yeah, don't yeah, yeah, yeah. That one. 1984. I was 13. Just the right time. You? Yeah. Well, a big one for me was, um, there are two, and they're a very similar type. Uh, one is the guy who played Brad in Teen Witch. Um, oh, God, yeah. Which was, there was a very, like, kind of queer psychosexual dynamic to that, where she is someone that he is not attracted to, but then she mm-hmm. literally casts a spell on him, and suddenly he's obsessed with her. And there was something so... I, I I can't even put put into words what that did. To, they also have like a shockingly uh, uh, hot and heavy sex scene for like a yeah. high school movie. Um, but so he was a big one, and then also Danny Hassel, who played Dan in Nightmare on Elm Street Four, The Dream Master, and Nightmare on Elm Street Five. Please hold the Dream Child, Danny. And, Hass, ha, I remember uh, Hassel, Danny Hassel, yeah. American and, actor. And he is oh, now, now, I just stumbled on, so I, I have really been into A Nightmare on Elm Street uh, as a franchise, and I, I sort of have nerded out on that for a long time. Yeah. Paul Rust 
has a podcast where they are covering all the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. And it is everything I needed uh, during this time. And it has created a whole renaissance for me going back and watching these movies. Um, anyway. Danny Hassel, though. Track down Danny Hassel on Instagram. Oh, I've done it. And he is a construction worker. Like, okay. a, just a real person living a real life. Okay. Um, okay. It's fascinating. Anyway. Yes, yeah, uh, absolutely beautiful young man. In very much the same way as Teen Witch Guy. Yeah. Also, also uh, a great a, a great jawline and and uh, and good teeth, yeah. all the way around. Yeah. So you got a type. Sure, I love it. Sure, I love it. Do you? P.S. We. Uh, got a review that we would like to read at this time. Rye to Rye, R-Y to R-Y says, amazing. Can't believe I just found this cast. It's a podcast. He was in a hurry. Uh, David Matter, amazing with a capital A. Still catching up on old ones, but I literally have to tell myself to stop. Never stop, Rye to Rye. Never stop, Rye to Rye. Ever stop. Thank you so much for that review. We think you are amazing as well. We really do. Um, And don't stop. Because after the break, we will be back with Shamir. Shamir. And we are back with Shamir. Hello, Shamir. Hi. How are you? I'm good. You know, I'm alive. Um, mm-hmm. Feeling hopeful, I think, like the rest of the country. So. Uh-huh. We should yeah. say we are recording this on Thursday, November, what, 5th? Yes, 5th. So we still don't know, but we're hopeful, you know? We yes. don't know. We remain hopeful. And it's looking um, good, but it's looking good. So. It, it is, in this moment, looking good yeah. if the world were not... Uh, crazy place like the well, math ridic- looks good what's ridiculous yeah the math looks good but what's yeah. ridiculous is that i'm a nevada native who lives in pennsylvania right now so everyone's <gasps> just looking at me like i voted in pennsylvania though okay good oh thank god for you which and is are- like they, they need my blue vote more than nevada obviously right now so. yes yeah Good. Yeah. You can compensate for my brother who lives in rural pennsylvania and refused to vote just because he doesn't like to be told what to do and I'm the same way. I but I be like, come on, you know, like I'm the <laughs> yeah. same way. I definitely be myself as a leftist, but like, come on, yeah, come on. Come on. Um, and are you in? Are you in a rural area in Pennsylvania? Or absolutely what, not. I'm in Phil- I'm in South Philly. <laughs> okay. Okay. Good. I mean, what I'm is in the rural vibe? Pennsylvania, and it's like terrifying. If you, yeah. I went to rural Pennsylvania. I was raised Muslim, so, um. You know, I don't do anything on on Christmas, and it was I think my first Christmas I ever spent in in Philly, um, twenty sixteen. And so I thought it was a good idea for me and my other Muslim friend to go up to the Poconos on Christmas Day, like these two black Muslim kids running around the Poconos, and you know Trump had just got elected basically, so it was kind of terrifying. It was more terrifying than we thought. Uh, as well, because like we didn't know like wh- where we could play in the snow and like what was like private property, so we just end up staying in our like 
like little bed and breakfast the whole time because I'm like, if we're playing on like someone's uh, like private property, they could shoot us and get away with it. So, yeah. You were quarantining long before we were quarantining. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I admit to quarantining. <laughs> How has your quarantine been so far? I mean, fine. I live alone. So, but also I'm an introvert, so it's like, it's fine. I, and also I've been busy, obviously. Like, yeah. I'm doing a lot of these, you know. Great. Um, a lot of Zoom interviews. Um, and... Um, yeah, yes, not yesterday, day before um, election day, on election day. It was nice because, like, Busy Phillips happened to be in um, Philly volunteering. So I, like, had a picnic with her daughters. <laughs> um, oh, cute. And, uh, and, yeah, like, brought uh, mimosas for the adults and Capri Sons for the kids. And we just kind of, like, chilled. Um, so I was just like, Elise. You know, we can have like a nice day just in case it's the last nice day. That's right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I just, it's, I mean, I've been staying creative and staying busy, so I can't complain. I'm introvert, staying creative and staying busy, so I, I really can't complain. I'm doing better than most. You're doing it. You're doing it absolutely right. Is it, are you feeling the, the protests that are happening in Philadelphia right now? Is it, um, does it feel tense? Not really. I don't think, pe- okay, I, I think, well, I live in South Philly, so I don't know. Mm-hmm. I feel like most of the protests are happening in West. So it's hard for me to tell. I mean, you do hear things sometimes, but, um, you know, Philly is very spirited. And like, that's my favorite thing about Philly, you know, um, is that everyone's very spirited and everyone's very just like honest and like in your face about like that honesty and like while the rest of like Pennsylvania may not be that and maybe be a little bit more you know not as open-minded like sometimes Philly feels even though it's so small sometimes Philly feels like it like makes up for a lot of that because everyone's just like really open-minded and great and like cares you know so you've had as we all have a lot of time to be at home. What are what are you? What is the art that you are consuming while you're home? Is there is there a, a show you've been binging? So I finished Girlfriends. Okay. Um, basically, like started the day that it came on Netflix. Uh-huh. Um, and I was very great, very reminiscent because I kind of grew up watching that and rewatching it now. Kind of like unlocked certain corners of my mind, you know, certain mm-hmm. corners of my memory, which is really great. Um, I finished Emily in Paris. That show great. is something, you know, I, <laughs> yeah, I, but also I resonated with a lot of it because I spent a lot of time in France. Um, still do. I have a lot of friends and everything out there. So I, uh, I kind of resonated because I know what it's like to like kind of feel like the dumb American. Um, and I, I just finished We Are Who We Are because the season finale for that aired Monday. Um, I, I mean, I watch a lot of TV. You know, I did, I did a TV, a monthly TV column all of last year, basically full time. Um, so I really, really love TV. 
Um, and obviously just a lot of music. I mean, I just just started working on next record, which was unexpected. Um, but here we are. Um, so listen to just like a lot of music and um, and then watching TV to kind of like numb the brain. Uh-huh. You have to. Yeah. Um, it's, um, you probably didn't want to mention this, but I'm just going to put it out on the table. Um, you do recognize me from that one boardroom scene in Girlfriends. Um, Seriously, did. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, there was some boardroom scene and I had a line that was like, in the lawyer look at the charts boardroom? or something. For the lawyers? Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I had literally one line. This is probably twelve. I, I just got a, a eleven cent uh, residual check for it. Iconic. Um, <laughs> pretty iconic, right? So yes, I just I, I just figured we should get it out on the table. I know you wanted yeah, to. I bet you don't remember. Yeah, I bet you don't remember the exact I, like, episode. I wish I remembered the exact episode. Yeah. I will. I will. I will look it up. I will. I will find it. I, I will please find do. it. Please and do. I will find you. Find That's okay, iconic. Great. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I it guess was, I watched was, you as well. <laughs> yes, you did. Yes, you did. You're so, the reason that you got welcome. that 11 cent uh, residual check. That's exactly correct. That is this exactly is like correct. This is not the first like podcast that I did, even this week, uh, where someone who was in something that I had seen, but like the whole yeah. time I'm just like, have I seen this person before? I don't oh, really no. know. I mean, and then like later on after it, but you told me. So the other yes. guy didn't. And I was just like, this guy looks so familiar. And I looked up his name. I was like, oh, of course. Honestly, it's weird when you flip through Netflix and you go past the thumbnail that they don't use Dave's picture. It's, it is strange season. because I was, a, I was basically an extra in, yeah. in a boardroom scene. <laughs> in like season know. seven or something. But like still, I don't know. You still never, because you'd be surprised by like how much your brain pertains subconsciously yeah and like how many faces your brain like at least for me like there'd be like a lot of times where sometimes it even takes me years but like i know that i had seen someone or like seen some person or maybe even like someone that like i became friends with or like became close with and i'm just like i feel like we became friends because i like know you or like i've seen you and then sometimes like Sometimes years, months later, I like didn't realize that like, oh, we were in the same room in the same time. And like, you know. Uh-huh. Um, what did you grow up listening to? Everything. I mean, that's such a tricky question because because like my my mom, I mean, most of my family. I will say this, my mom and her twin, so my mom has a twin, so basically I feel like I have two mothers. Um, They were music lovers. And then my my mom's twin, she actually did music. She didn't play anything or sing, but she considered herself a poet slash writer. And she befriended a lot of musicians around the Vegas area. And then they would get together in her room and record like she had a whole setup in her room like early on before bedroom pop was even invented um so um, she listened to a lot of music her taste was very varied um but for the most part definitely her and my mom listened to like a lot of the stuff that they felt nostalgic about and I guess I kind of got the nostalgic bug as well because I felt like 
at least now within the last few years of my career, I've really, I think always actually throughout my career, I've brought the nostalgic vibe, even since the beginning with like Ratchet and like very 90s house and disco and stuff. I just like nostalgia. Um, and I think it's, yeah, they, they listen to like a lot of like the R&B and like soulful hits of like the late 70s, 80s, even early 90s stuff that they loved just like growing up. So like listen to like a lot of like Tina Marie and um and like uh I don't even know like just so many this like you know Luther Vandross like those very like 80s vocal R&B like stuff like that's definitely like their tried and true stuff but like also like my mom's twin introduced me to like some of the early country stuff I ever heard like Reba and um and uh, uh Jada Joplin and all of that stuff because like she wrote country songs like maybe even one of the first country songs I ever heard was like one that she wrote um yeah so yeah it just really varied but by the time I turned nine that's when I started to gravitate towards like rock music and like it was like really heavier guitar based stuff and then that was yeah. just like the end of it for me I was just like I'm a rock star what was the <laughs> uh, what was the record that did it do you remember yeah so it was the who so I I um am still am I was born this way um an insomniac um and you know when you're a nine-year-old nine year insomniac um in the early aughts at like 1 a.m there's there's not you know continuous programming you just get a bunch of ads so I would just watch like the classic rock like time life music ads and mm. um and uh, I saw the Who, and I was just like, "This man shreds." And me and my mom went to like Tower, and I was just like, "Can I get the CD?" And she was like, "How do you even know this band?" And I was like, "This is a business. Can I get the CD?" <laughs> and I got a uh, uh, the Who Greatest Hits, and oh, <laughs> the record changed my life. Like wow. I couldn't, <sighs> yeah. So every single song, like obsessed, you know. Barbara Riley and like Behind Blue Eyes and like all of those were just like so formative for me. I think as even a songwriter and um yeah, I just remember like me and my cousin, my mom's twin son, who's basically like a brother to me. And I heard even like DNA wise is like technically my brother um, oh, because wow. they're twins. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, but we're also just like very close because um, our parents are twins. Um, and uh, I just, you know, remember sitting around and us just like, you know, singing along very loudly to the greatest hits of the Who. So yeah, that was like the first, the first, yeah, for sure. I love it. Have you, you, you mentioned Tina Marie, have you treated yourself recently to the joy that is Rick James and Tina Marie's Fire and Desire? I mean, always. I mean, that's, it's, that's like, that's like a black staple, though. Like in the black American household, like everyone knows that song, even if they don't know Tina Marie, even if they don't know yeah. like Rick James. I feel like every black person knows that song. <laughs> like, I, so this is like it's like a staple. But also their performance of it mm-hmm. right before Rick James' death at the BET mm-hmm. Awards is chaotic and psychotic and everything <laughs> under the moon. And yeah. but it's a mate. It's it's horrible. It's terrible. But it's a basic in a sense that, like, it's so spirited. <laughs> yeah, it is. We literally just watched it, to, well, maybe Monday night. 
to just ease the pre-election jitters because it truly is that's a perfect video to watch to ease any jitter (laughs) yes it's cathartic it will they will get it out of your body for you um it is truly that song starts at a 12 and then just builds i just want to say yeah (laughs) i mean that performance starts at a 12 oh yeah like how can it get any crazier and then they're like yeah (laughs) yeah it's absolutely insane. It's a song that I've listened to 5,000 times and I don't know how it goes. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's just all runs. Yes. If you ask me to sing for you, can runs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing, nothing but runs. But runs. Uh, I actually found a video that's a little bit, I need to, if you want it for this or like whatever else to do, um, I put a video of like me and like my now bass player and like old band made from a high school band. Um, just like, in our old place, because we lived together when, I, when we were 19, um, in our old place, like, singing that song karaoke and, like, me being, wow. like, ridic- like both of us just, like, being ridiculous is so funny. But also, I feel like no one, like, everyone wants to compare me to, like, Prince or, like, Nina Simone, like, vocally. And, like, I hear both of those and definitely, you know, understand both of those. But, like, I feel like no one points out the fact that, like, literally, like, I got my vibrato from Tina Marie. Like, mm. and I think that's yeah. because she's so underrated. Like, I feel like she's part of my vocal Bible personally. So, an, an absolute, like, unsung hero. Yeah, for sure. One of the greats. Yeah. I, I um, want to know more about your insomnia. Um, is it because I see I see that some sort of energy drink floating into the frame from time to time? I'm it's assuming. absolutely not an energy drink. Oh, it's not. No, it's hard kombucha. Come oh, on now, great. The opposite of an energy drink. The, uh, the in very the best way. I'm just I'm bipolar, so mania is just a part of life, and I think that maybe. I mean, I guess realistically, you know, bipolar is show up to like much later, but like maybe that's a part of the insomnia is that I just always been kind of like very manic. Um, but yeah, definitely not. You will not catch me. I mean, I do love cold brew. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Well, that's dangerous. Oh, not to me. Ugh, I drink a gallon. <laughs> I drink a gallon of water and cold brew every day, basically. Um, wow. But. But other than Colbert, you won't catch me on anything that's like considered an upper because like I'm manic enough. Um, right. But yeah, insomnia. Just what does it look like right now? Are you do you, you fall asleep uh, and then you're up in the middle of the night and do you sort of just start your day, or how does it play out? Um. Hmm. I never asked. No one's ever like asked me to get this deep into like the inner workings. Of, like, I just love insomnia. people's like sleep patterns. Um, I will say that it changes. It really does change. And then, like, that's also like the other thing too about being like a um a touring musician. Like every day when you're on a road, right? Um, but. Obviously, haven't been touring lately, so it just depends on like my mood, how manic and/or depressed I am that week, and that's really it. Um, this week I feel pretty balanced. Um, so I've been kind of like yesterday. I was really, I I had three naps yesterday, 
believe it or not, because I didn't drink any caffeine. And so I just, so that kind of made me feel a little extra sleepy. Um, Because I don't drink caffeine every day. There are some days where I'm just like, I don't feel like having caffeine. And so um, basically every time I ate, basically, because my body was just like, we don't have caffeine to continue and you just ate. So like, we're going to take a nap. So basically every, after every time I ate, I took a nap, which was like nice. Um, but since I had caffeine today, I assume that it will be more like normal where I'll stay up to like one, two, three mm-hmm. AM generally. And then wake up typically at eight, nine or 10 depends. I try not to sleep. Until noon anymore, um, except on the weekdays. Weekdays is just, I mean, weekends. Um, weekends is just like anybody's game. Uh-huh. Sure, even now. Yeah. Are, um, yeah. Are you, are you like socializing at all? Do you have a uh, a quarantine pod? No, no, I live no. alone. I don't, yeah, not like I don't have like a homie like staying over or like whatever. Like, I, mm-hmm. yeah. But that, like, so, aside from Busy Phillips and family, <laughs> your pod even really inside. Busy Phillips' kids. I didn't even get to see it. Yeah, it was Busy's kids because, like, Busy was busy, like, volunteering. Oh, right, so of course. So I was, like, keeping the kids company. Sure. Um, so I was basically, like, stuck in him babysitting. Um, but, um, yeah, like, I'll, like, basically, like, what I did with them, have, like, you know, social distance picnic here and there. Um, I finally had like a little, my like my producer put together a little album release hang a month after <laughs> the uh-huh. release um, on Halloween, and that was nice. Like he like barbecue because he has like a nice like bigger backyard for Philly um, with like a fire pit, um, which was nice. So uh, we did that. Um, but yeah, just like I just I'll like go to like a few hangs like that. But other than that, I like for the most part, I'm just like spending at least five to five to you know full seven days by myself. Yeah. Also, interacting with the person who made one of the like your album and his album and a couple others are in my rotation in the last month. Christian Lee Hudson. His birthday is today. His birthday is today. Yeah, um, I just tweeted a picture of uh, Draco Malfoy, and I'm not sure anyone knew the difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah he's <laughs> essentially Matthew Crawley and Draco Malfoy put together and yeah. given an acoustic guitar. Everyone's just like, "Happy birthday!" Like, no one's like, "Oh, well." Like, <laughs> so, this like that's him. Great. Yeah, that's him. Yep. Great. Yep. This is like a young picture of him. Like, yeah. Yeah, he's a child wizard. I love him. Like yeah. he's 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 probably like the the quarantine soulmate that I found. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like like we haven't we haven't met because like he lives in LA. I live out here. I'm in Philly. So and we met during quarantine um through Ben Lee, who also yeah. is another like close quarantine friend that I made during quarantine and like we did a song together during quarantine like so I would say those two guys are like very much like kind of like quarantine soulmates that like I made that like I feel so close to them even though we haven't met yet because of quarantine yeah yeah that's great Uh, that's one of the positives of this moment yes um I want to get into your 
dating life and coming out experience, all of that. And I, I think a good way to get into it is to talk about this one song of yours that I love called Straight Boy that starts <laughs> off with the, the lyrics, can someone tell me why I always seem to let these straight boys ruin my life? And that is, I, I bring it up because that's uh, such a recurring theme with our guests. And <laughs> I'm assuming that it was a, a pattern for you based on the lyrics, but um, without naming names, of course, could you tell us about the straight boy who ruined your life the most? Yeah, no. I, so the thing about that song is that a lot of people think that it's kind of like about the maybe more cliche pattern of um, of being a queer person falling for a straight person. Yeah. But that song is actually more about just the the the, the, the demolishing of all of my straight male platonic friendships. Like at that, before I wrote that song, um, my closest friend, like my, someone I spent every day with, like my best friend, like ride or die, felt like a brother. The one who I actually mentioned that I went to the Poconos with, mm-hmm. um, was straight. And after I had my first really bad episode and was diagnosed bipolar, basically like the most of friendship, like kind of just like in basically every other, like kind of like other straight boy that was like in the vicinity of like our friend group. Cause like when I first moved to Philly, like I didn't know, I didn't really know any other queer people and all my friends are straight dudes. Like it was dark, like <laughs> it was dark mm-hmm. and it was like, not it. Um, but I didn't know anyone else. So that's really what that song is about. Um, not to say that I've never had a crush on a straight dude, but like, um, but like never with the understanding that they're straight dudes, so like never it like really ever crushing me. Um, but kind of like realizing um kind of like the incapabilities of straight men being able to even be honest and open with uh their play their close platonic friends is just like sad and like depressing mm-hmm. and it's just like ridiculous and like you know and I wrote that song after like after I had that episode and after I got diagnosed and was you know struggling to get like my mental health together how my queer and female and femme friends were the only ones that was like there like the only mm-hmm. ones that was there from before and after and still here today and so that's what that song is about but um, and then also like in all of my queer friends kind of like make fun of me because I don't, I don't know what it is. I really don't. It's very weird, but I feel like the straight boy whisperer, mm-hmm. I don't know the connection that straight boys have with me and I don't know the connection that I have with them, but like, I would be like at all queer party, right? We're mostly queer party. And um, in minding my business and like specifically my friend's birthday party in 2019, I normally always visit him for his, he lives in Canada. I normally always visit him for his birthday um, this year, obviously when I get a chance to, but in 2019 when I did, his one straight friend that he invited to his party 
I was the one that I ended up like really hitting off with and like we went off to the side and was just like talking and like chilling and smoking and like doing the whole thing and then uh and then after the party after he left he was just like of course you end up like hitting it off with like the one straight dude that yeah. I invited and I was like I didn't even know he was straight I thought everyone was queer at this fucking party you know like what the fuck I don't know what it is I really don't know what it is so that's also what that song is about and I have to actively work to kind of ignore the kind of connection that I have with like straight dudes like I think I have mm. to like I I've now have to consciously like not have that be a thing you know what I mean like it's it's even another I guess like a perfect example is just like you know I started my own label and um you know one of the biggest artists on the label aside from the black non-binary artist Paul Blood who's like number one but I will say right under number two is Grant Pavel who's a straight white dude and um and so like now on my late when I get demos, it's been a bunch of just like straight white people. And I'm just like, I can't do this. Like, please, like, no, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, and it's like, it's nothing against it, but it's just like, I, you guys have enough spaces. Yes. You know, like, please not take up like my time, my energy and like my label, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Have you ever, have you ever been able to unpack or do you have like a theory? I have no theory and I'm constantly thinking about it. I have no theory. I mean, I mean, the running theory is just just like, you know, obviously like I like, you know, indie rock and like DIY rock and like that, you know, very historically, um, been taken over and not going to say started by but like taken over by you know the straight white man but even then like um I don't understand it doesn't make any sense because like definitely more now so these days as well it's like becoming a lot more integrated with like a lot more like black and queer and like female artists like taking over in the indie rock space you know what I mean mm-hmm. um so this never even made sense. Even when I did the, the you know, the Ratchet record, like that was produced by a straight white dude, which made me feel icky, oh. to be honest. Um, because <laughs> like, you know, that's like a queer classic at this point. Um, and I felt basically like pigeonholed to like do the specific type of music because like he knew it would like sell best if it was like, you know, through the vessel of a queer black person. Yeah. So that was frustrating with like thin itself but yeah like i i don't know what it is i guess basically you know since it's a queer podcast like if you're queer especially a queer person of color reach out to me especially if you're a queer person of color who's an artist listening to this right now please send me your demos like (laughs) please um i don't get really any and it's kind of ridiculous because like that's what i want that's why i started this label like please help well, it's going to happen. That's it's going to happen. Yeah. So just yeah, brace yourself. Um, yeah. I, this is I, I've um, a very similar issue, and I don't I don't understand it either. But it's just kind of the way. It's the way that it is. This is really funny to me because, like, it's just also like, yeah. I don't know. I don't understand it. I yeah. Anyway, if I'm looking for more queer friends if you're wondering okay 
Yeah. Right. Keep the DMs open. They're they're gonna yep. they're gonna come after you. Hi. They will flood you. <laughs> Please do. So it sounds like uh, dating wise, you know, in, in quarantine, not a lot is happening just because of the state of the world. Obviously. Mm-hmm. I'm like, a, I feel like a born again virgin. <laughs> what, well, what was it like before uh, the pandemic? Before the pandemic, I was in probably like my longest, like, I want to call it like a relationship, but like situationship. Um of like my adult life basically yeah um so yeah why would you call it a situationship and not relationship um because i think it was on the road to relationship but um basically it ended because they had to they moved to europe Mm -hmm. um so yeah that's why i would call it a situationship because it was like we was like in a situationship for nine-ish months yeah so yeah right it's a long time for a situation ship yeah it's a long time yeah so yeah when the and i'm like i'm like severely monogamous it's kind of gross like i'm like embarrassed about it so yeah so that was one person all of last year is there any chance of visiting once the world begins to return to normal oh no no i'm like no. once, once break. i'm i'm yeah i'm a scorpio i feel like that's a very scorpio thing like it's just okay. like what's over is over like, oh, okay so so your birthday is it, mm-hmm. coming or just passed it's coming saturday okay wow so, any plans no just like a brunch and like that's it all right and we know we bring a mimosa to brunch. I know that about you. I mean, I bring mimosa to everything, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's a very good policy. Yeah. It's a very good policy. Your uh, your diagnosis came about when you were making the album Hope, I, I believe. After. Like right after. after. Hope and was basically the product of a very horrible manic episode, which eventually turned into a psychotic episode. Right. And was there one moment like that was sort of your alarm bell realization that, you, you know, you were not okay and you needed help? I would say just all of the beginning of 2017 before everything kind of went down because I was feeling a lot of strain. I had like the longest depressive episode I've read, like ever. Um, whereas like I like literally didn't leave my bed for like days. Um and so after that, that's when I was like, I need to check in on my mental health. Um, and I planned on it. But then, um, you know, I was, I didn't, I just didn't have a great team at the time. Like, at least not a great team that was conducive to just my well-being overall, you know. Um, so if things came up certain shows festivals whatever came up so like that kind of like took the forefront because at this point I hadn't played or like done anything in a while so I kind of like felt guilty 
about it. So it's just like, I'll put the plans that I had to like get my mental health together. Cause like I, you know, hit them up and I was just like, you know, like, I want to do this. Like, you know, who can I visit? What can I do? Like, blah, blah, blah. And like, had a list of people and like everything. And um, yeah, I'm just like basically put it off the side to like do this. And then, um, and then yeah, so we had a few shows and like festivals and basically like a mini tour like built up and um, that I was rehearsing for as like, well, but then I hit a breaking point because I had basically finished the record with said straight boy um and uh and he didn't like want to release it like didn't like it and it was just like i don't like the direction it's going like fuck you fuck this like whatever so like that like triggered me and like heavily triggered me and i just like went back and just made this record completely by myself and it was just like fuck you i don't need you like i'll do it like myself and threw it out there two days after um and and then it started to get like reception which I didn't think that it would do and then from then on it was just I think it was just like a lot of pressure of just like no one understanding where I want to go me not even understanding where I want to go management and everyone kind of like feeling like disrespected maybe or like even though that was like wasn't the case like it was just like I had spent months and months and months and months on this record and um and to feel the possibility of it not being able to come out after actually I think I spent more than a year on this record I think I had spent yeah I think I spent over a year just like trying to make and write this record that I felt would be a nice follow-up to Ratchet and then all and then when that didn't happen, hope was basically like what I always wanted to do without without me thinking like what would be a nice follow up to Ratchet. You know what I mean? It's just like this is just like what I'm feeling and like what's on my chest and like what's on my spirit, and that's what hope was. And to see people like receive it in a way that I wanted them to, not to say that like everyone got it. Like obviously, if you like Ratchet and you heard Hope, you were like, what's going on? But mm-hmm. But, like, the people that I wanted to get it got it. Um, I wasn't going to go back to that. You know what I mean? Like, I wasn't going to go back to, like, basically feeling like a prisoner of, like, my circumstances. So, you know, I basically just tried to go on as best as I could knowing that I still had, like, these other things and shows and, like, everything, like, plan but while still trying to like incorporate what I had what basically what I had already done and um and I think that was just a lot of pressure for someone to kind of just like feel on their own and like I think that's just when I broke and that's when I had like the really bad episode I was manic basically the whole time for like two weeks after hope released and then it turned into just like full psychotic mania um like two weeks later and then I was in the hospital and me being in the hospital was like the first time that I ever had to cancel a show or shows had to cancel like a few shows because of that. And that was like really hard. And um, yeah, that's when I was like diagnosed and just went back to Vegas with my mom. She flew out and then she got me. And then 
when I went back to Vegas, that's when I wrote and recorded um, Revelations because like mm-hmm. after I got out of the hospital, I went to my house and got a few clothes, my four track and my guitar. And that's what I went back to Vegas with and made Revelations. That's all you needed. That's all I needed. Um, and how how did the diagnosis change the way you approached music? I mean, it sounds like it was this great sort of shedding of like people who didn't understand you and you giving yourself permission to, to just make the music you wanted to make. Exactly. It was like, I mean, it was such a tragic moment of my life that is definitely like my life is broken into, I would say my life is at this point broken into like before and after this situation basically like um like my life now looks completely different than I've looked before um it never will resemble then in a lot of ways that's great because I shed it a lot of the people that I realized that was their support and love was conditional mm-hmm. and, it, and it made me realize and hip to the people who absolutely wasn't conditional and it strengthened those relationships. So I don't I don't look at any of it in vain. I think um if anything, that kind of instead of dwelling on what I had lost, realizing the people who were there after the fact, it that kind of was like a, a um like that was like gave me enough ambition to like want to get better for them, you know, like and they were there through the bad. So this makes me like kind of like want to get healthy, you know, so like they don't, I don't know, I guess feel like their support or like anything in vain, not that it ever would be or like not that I ever should like feel like it because like obviously it proved that, you know, their support and love wasn't conditional, but um, yeah, that really helped me. So um, you know, after that, I got like really intense therapy and help mm-hmm. and, um, and just have been on the most healthy path that I've ever been on in my life. Like with every year since my diagnosis, I feel like I just get healthier and healthier and healthier and like mm-hmm. realize just like a lot more things like about myself. And like, I think that's why I like to spend a lot of time alone because like, when you're alone, there's, like, no distractions, like, with, like, your thoughts and, like, neuroses and, like, everything, and so I spend that time alone, like, um, just analyzing how I'm feeling and, like, what I'm feeling, and, um, and also during that time, especially after my diagnosis and, like, working with my therapist, like, I also learned to, like, because the thing about music, when you do music, um, as a profession, um, it starts, it starts to become less of an art and less of a cathartic thing and more of a product. And that's what I was kind of being molded into at the beginning of my career. And I, I would say after therapy, my therapist was like really sensitive to the fact that I was an artist and learned to kind of just like reroute my brain to using music and art as a 
plea way of um of just like been this cathartic outlet for myself. Um and even though like yes I am selling it to the people and like yes I am putting myself out there in this way, all of my art is completely cathartic. Like every single song you've heard, probably post Ratchet, has been pure catharsis and has been a part of my mental health and like me feeling better and like me feeling myself and and even if I don't even know like what those songs were like during during those time like the time that I like I wrote it or like created it there's been so many times where like after the fact I'm like oh this is like what my subconscious was saying you know or like yeah. this is what it meant or like you know so music is just at this point a part of my mental health journey and what's the new music that you're making? Uh, what is it? I mean, what, what can you tell us? I don't know what I can tell you. It's literally, okay, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this then. I'll tell you the story, basically. Because it's only been two weeks since I'm like, okay, I'm working on an album. And like, yeah. I understand where we're going with like this album and like this project is like a whole. Um, So... Two Mondays ago, I would say, not this past Monday, but like two weeks before, um, I had an epiphany about the art direction, what it will be called, the album cover, just like that whole thing, just like the whole art direction situation. Um, and I just wrote it down. I was just like, this is a good idea. This could possibly work for next record. I'll write it down. Um, was not thinking about music, was not really writing. I haven't really been writing as much as I could this year because I've been really busy with just like doing more of the, like the managerial and like admin work that has come with like this year and like this release and like this release being way more popular than I even expected it to or even dreamt they would be, you know what I mean? Um, so I just been feeling like kind of like a hamster in a wheel trying to keep up. Um, so yeah, I just I haven't even been writing that much. And then two days after I had the art idea, like the person who's helping me like produce it, um, hit me up, like just like slid into my DMs and like not even someone that like I knew or mm-hmm. Like personally, or like was was even close to. Like we met briefly, and when and like we have a mutual, but like that's it, really. And um, they sent me. It's like oh, like I'm trying to get more into production. Like and I did like the CP that's like more in the style of like more production because they're also in the band, and like I knew the band. Um, but. And, like, they had just released a new single that's kind of in a style of, like, their production, but, like, still the band is very different from their production. Uh-huh. And their production style is a style that, and, like, I don't want to give that away, but basically their production style as a style of music that I've always wanted to dive into a little bit more, but, like, never could find the person that can do it correctly or, like, well, because it's mm-hmm. kind of like a dead style, especially now. Like it's it's a very throwback style, basically, almost uh-huh. kind of like in the vein of like 
the very kind of like housey 90s music that I did with Ratchet, you know, mm-hmm. but like not house, mm-hmm. um, but a, an older sound. And he did it very well. And so I was like, oh, this is crazy. It's like literally what I've been searching for. I even have like a few leftover demos that like I wanted to sound like this, but like couldn't find the right producer for like, I will sing you these. And like he worked on those and like those sounded amazing. So that was like three songs and I wrote two songs and this was like we're halfway through an album. So like now we're just just going through them basically. And he's Philly based as well. So that like works out. It's perfect. It's perfect. It's ridiculous. I love it. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, we we have we have a few. Okay, we have a few hints to go on, but we'll yeah. we'll wait to hear more. We'll take yeah. whatever scraps we can. It was get. basically this is very serendipitous. Like it just. Okay. Like, yeah. Love it, Shamir. Thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah. Thank you for uh, for being here. It has been a pleasure talking to you. No, thank you for having me. Well, Matt, we've come to the end of another episode. Dave, 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 Dave. Thank you for being here with me, giving me a reason to live. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for reviewing us on Apple Podcasts with five stars only, of course. Thank you to Renee Colvert with a T, Mm -hmm. our, our producer. Thank you to Ryan Connor, our engineer. Thank you to everybody at Earwolf. Uh Thank Um, you, Ben Wise, for the music. Yes. And thank you, listener, for listening. Uh, Tell a friend. Leave a review. We love you. Mm